Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, and we are into round two of the NASCAR Cup playoffs in the 2019 season, which means it's time for another post-race edition with the NASCAR and NBC podcast. And we're joined by our resident Hall of Famer in NASCAR, Dale Jarrett. DJ, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Very fortuitous that you're here because I don't know if there's been another analyst who has been able to predict what happened Sunday. I mean, Steve Wittart predicted Kyle Larson would win the race, but I've heard you numerous times over the last couple of months talk about the development of Kyle Larson. You talked about it again on our call for NASCAR America, which we'll be doing later today. Uh, so hopefully I'm not talking you out completely, but <laughs> y- you did see something has been different about Kyle Larson, who was the winner of, of the race at Dover Sunday. And um, let's just start there. I mean, what, what, what have you seen? I think especially with the backup cars that he's had to go to that he's, mm-hmm. he's kind of had a different approach these last couple of months. Yeah. I, I mean, we've always talked about how good Kyle Larson is and could be. Um, but what I've always seen with Kyle Larson is, you know, I, I think with, in looking and knowing how he came up and, and the type of racing that he did, you pretty much had to be a hundred, hundred and ten percent every lap that you were on the track. And that didn't matter if you were practicing, uh, if you were in one of their their heat races and trying to make it to the A main, whatever it was, he had to be going pretty much wide open all the time because things are so different in that type of racing. And I think he brought that mentality to stock cars. And even though we want to know that everybody's given 100% all the time. You don't have to, you can't run every lap at 100% or you're going to find yourself in trouble. And as you're making changes to the cars, you, you want to be able to uh, go at a speed that allows you to get a good barometer of what your car would do and what changes you have made. And if you're always on that ragged edge all the time, then you're not going to be able to do that without some consequences. And we've seen Kyle Larson leading races get into the wall, uh, trying to trying to drive his way to the front, get into the fence. And, you know, I think it came to a head midway through the regular season whenever he had a couple of practice crashes. And I'm not sure exactly where everything kind of went. I know they had some talks within their organization. Uh, I know they made their race cars better. Uh, But I think that combination, I've seen a different Kyle Larson since that time. Uh, Not that that he was driving conservative by any means, but he backed things down to the point that, hey, if I don't do something, if we don't do something here – we're not even going to make the playoffs, period, uh, if we keep tearing cars up. And if you're tearing cars up, then you can't be making progress and moving forward. And I think that's the biggest thing that I have seen. And you could see that that 
as they got the cars a little bit better, he could still be aggressive at the times he needed to be. And yesterday was a perfect example of him taking a 400-mile race and putting everything in perspective as to when he needed to go and, and when was the time to hold things back a little bit. Yeah, it really was a culmination of what we've seen out of him and that team in the last couple of months. I think you're absolutely spot on, DJ. It was midway through the season, late, maybe a little bit late in the regular season. For me, it was about two months ago. It was a two-week stretch, New Hampshire and Pocono. New Hampshire, I believe he wrecked in practice, started in a backup, and then we talked about it right here at this desk on NASCAR America, inexplicably like racing for eighth on a restart, wrecked again mm-hmm. while going against, I think it was Bowman or something, like going, yeah. diving on the apron. And then the next week is Pocono. He wrecked again in practice, and I remember we talked to him right after practice, and I could you could see it in his face and in his tone that, like, I, I got to do a better job. And I think he finished top five at Pocono in the backup. And I think since then it's been different. When a driver goes through that, and we've been talking about this for a few years with Larson, like you said, he comes from a different background. He doesn't come from stock cars. He comes from 30 lap sprints and, yeah. and racing on dirt. Do you think it was just he had to get to this point eventually and maybe <laughs> this was the realization? Or do you think somebody, you said there might have been some discussions in the organization. People yeah. talked to him as well. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, we, we talked about the maturity of drivers all the time and getting to that level and, and understanding what this type of racing is about. Because uh, until you come to and get to the cup level, uh, you've never run races this long uh, as what, you know, you go four and 500, 600 miles, uh, 500 laps at the short tracks. Uh, That's a lot to put on someone that hasn't done that before. Different drivers adapt to that um, as they go through their careers. And I think that Larson, and I'm sure that he, you could tell, it really had him uh, disappointed in himself that he was creating these situations for his crew and not give them any better chance. As a driver, there's nothing worse than starting a race on Sunday with a backup car that you virtually don't have any laps on or any time with and so uh you you know that you're not going to be able to give even with your best effort uh if you can get somewhere in the top 10 possibly a top five that's the best you're going to do and you're there to win the race so i think it was a uh, kind of a combination and chip ganassi is really good with his drivers of not only listening to them but talking to them when they need to to have that talk and so i think that that all of that happened and uh now they're seeing the benefits of it and this is a guy who sometimes i think we forget uh, i think he turns 27 this year yeah. and this is his sixth season in cup and two-year winless drought and it's been so many years we've been talking about the potential and yes he has some wins and yes he's made the playoffs but this is the first time he's ever even going to make the round of eight and the fact that he might actually have a chance to run for that first championship that people think he has the talent to win. Do you think that weighed on him a little bit? Do you, do you think that for drivers who don't fulfill that and get yeah. talked about a lot, that's more difficult? You know, I, I think that it, it probably has weighed on him in the way that he came in with this big fanfare. We saw what he could do in the Xfinity Series driving the cars, and it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is the next Jeff Gordon, if you will. You know, everybody right. keeps looking for that and wanting that, uh, you know, just uh, to have this great talent to come along. You know, he's got a great personality, and, you know, you, you need another star out there to, to come along and, and go against Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch and, and all the established guys. And, and so – Larson was that person, and it took him a while to get there to win. And then once he started winning, we expected that to be a regular thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, he doesn't win for six months, and then it goes a year, and then it goes longer than that. He finishes second nine times, and it, you just you wonder, you know, what is going on? What what part of it could you put on the organization? Uh, and especially last year, I think we gave him a pass uh, because he was probably the first 
part of 2018, he was probably the best Chevrolet that right. was out there yeah, as they came with right. the new Camaro. Forgotten about that. But right. it, it did, they, they never made any progress, in my opinion, from that point forward throughout the year. And it was a struggle for all the Chevrolet teams. But, you know, we came to expect more from him. And I think that did weigh on him because once he started winning, I think he thought that it was going to be on a very regular basis. And when it doesn't happen like that, I don't care how good you are, uh, it starts weighing. And, and once you get things in your mind, it makes it more difficult. And as we look forward on what is next for him, DJ, as I said, he makes the round of eight for the first time, and we're talking about the championship. He's very obviously concerned about Martinsville. It was one of the first things he mentioned in victory lane. Can he get through the round of eight, first of all? And second of all, if he gets to Miami, we've talked about him for so long as being a potential championship favorite there. Could he win the title if he gets to Miami? I think there's a couple of things there, Nate, that I look at. It, it's going to be a tough round. We, we know that as things get to that round of eight, uh, you've got the very best eight. You're going to have at least three and probably four drivers that have a lot of points, uh, playoff points, to work with. So trying to, to position yourself inside of there without getting a win uh, is going to be difficult. Martinsville is going to be a tough tough race for him but you look at the other two I think he's very capable of running up front and and possibly getting a win at Texas or at Phoenix so I think that the opportunity is there for them um I think pointing his way through there is going to be extremely difficult uh, because they haven't gathered enough playoff points throughout the year. Certainly yesterday helped in that situation, uh, but I think that's going to be the, the more difficult side of it. Can he win at Homestead? The old, old rules package, I would say he would go in there probably as the favorite. But what I saw at Dover – uh, where we typically see the cars really spread out and be from the bottom to the top of the racetrack, I, I wonder if Homestead might not be something similar to that in that is the top of the racetrack actually going to be the place to run? And, and that's where he's always been better than most others at Homestead in, in making that happen. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I would still, if he's one of the four, uh, he would have to be somebody that you kept your eye on and think, yeah, this could be his opportunity. But you don't think he can get through on points? You think that Martinsville, probably too big of a hill I, to I climb? Think, yeah. yeah, I mean, even – I just think that there, there are drivers that have – so many more playoff points right, that it's right. going to make it so difficult. I mean, if he goes there and somehow figures out how to finish in the top five and, and gathers that amount of points and, and, and can have three top five runs then you know, in those three races, then, yeah, that, that's a real possibility. But there's others. When you've got Truex and Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick and, and Denny Hamlin sitting there yeah. uh, with all these playoff points amassed, then it's going to make it more difficult, more difficult to point your way through. Yeah, we talked about this on Victory Lap last night. Like, who do we think our top four would be? And I feel like you, you still follow the chalk. You still look at Truex, Hamlin, Kyle Busch. Kevin Harvick, all of whom finished in the top six at Dover. You know, yeah. we talked so much about these other contenders like Logano and Chase Elliott that have problems. But to me, it's it's still going to be really, really hard to knock any of those four guys out, presuming they make the third round. And I think they do, despite the fact that Truex had a little bit of an issue. Uh, a lot of people said, hey, he might have had the best car. He only led, I think, 15 laps. But yeah. if he doesn't have that pit stop problem where he yeah. goes from first to six, do you think – maybe he wins or I, I I think there's a good chance I really would have loved to see that battle if they would have ever been closer between Kyle Larson and, and Martin Truex Jr. how that might have ended up if they would have been able to race each other uh traffic 
looked like it might be enough of a factor that, that it was going to give them that chance to be able to do that. But I'm not sure that, that Martin Truex Jr. didn't have the best car all day long. Uh, Larson was really good. He mentioned he changed uh, his driving style a little bit and his approach to getting around there yesterday uh, after stage one of the race because he said he felt like he was heating up the front tires too much by charging the corner and with all the downforce that they have. And then he was applying brake to get the car slowed down there, which is just both things are heating up the front tires. Well, he was smart enough at that time to, to try something different and realize that if he backed the corner up a little bit and didn't have to hit the brake, that the car would roll the chassis and tires would actually work, roll around the bottom. And that's probably the best around the bottom we've ever seen him run at a racetrack and make everything work. So I would have really liked to have seen those two battle. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, I, But I think that in, in saying that, then you, you can't count Kyle Larson out. If he's going to make these adjustments and adapt and, and have this different way of approaching these races, uh, then he's going to be someone they're going to have to deal with. The whole key comes down to who wins these races in, in round three uh, is going to be the key. If, if it's the guys that, that have amassed the, the most playoff points, then that's not a problem. You've got a better chance of, of working your way in there on points. Yeah, that's a really good point because, I mean, last year we see Logano wins at Martinsville. And yes. the big three still made it through, but as soon as somebody besides the big three wins that round three opener, yeah. then it's like, hey, all bets are up. If one of those four guys doesn't win, then we know that obviously yeah. then all four of them don't necessarily get through. So on Truex, I just want to put a bow on that, that as a driver, from your perspective, it, it seemed like he, he was able to shrug that off pretty well. I mean, we've seen some drivers when a pit crew costs them a race, like happened to him Sunday, yeah. they get upset. He just was able to just get past it. Yeah, and I, I think that's his demeanor most of the time is that he rolls with things like that. And I think once he probably saw exactly what happened, he, he was probably even a little more forgiving of, of what happened. That wasn't a mistake that was made uh, mm -hmm. by his pit crew yesterday. That was just an unfor unfortunate set of circumstances that – Apparently, some gas probably came out uh, as they were changing the cans, and it was just a, a slip is all that was. It wasn't, you know, anything that the, the crew member did anything wrong. He didn't trip over his hose or anything like that. Right. You know, right. you, it's just times that, that you hit something that is slick, and, you know, they, he was busting his tail to get around there. And I think that, that certainly uh, you have to give – the crew a pass on a situation like that. They didn't leave anything loose. They, they did their job. As a matter of fact, he did a remarkable job even coming back from that because as his hand hit the ground with the gun, it reversed it. He had already uh, had it in place to, to reverse and get the lug nuts off. It actually went back to tightening, so he had the, the foresight and insight to be able to realize quickly how that happened. So uh, Truex is just, he's easygoing, and, and he's, you know, if, if, if things do happen to where he needs to say something about the crew. It's generally not in front of the media or in front of a camera. Uh, he might say that later on, and I like that approach yeah. a lot better. I think you get a lot more done. Probably like the that. best way to do it. Yes, in most some of ways. the time. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> so he finished his second. It wasn't necessarily damaging in any way, other than he doesn't get the five playoff points. But certainly a, a tough day for Joey Logano, finishing 34th and running 25 laps down at the finish. And he was running 25 laps down, DJ, for most of the race and angered some of his competitors, uh, namely Dan Denny Hamlin, for the way he raced with no quarter around guys who were still on the lead lap. Again, great to have you on here because Dustin Long did a story for NBCSports.com uh, a couple of years ago when he talked about Logano and talked to you about him for it. And you you kind of compared him to Earnhardt in that he's got that real 
selfish mentality that the young racers, drivers today have to have. Mm -hmm. And it's not a negative necessarily for the most part because you have to be selfish the way yes. the way you race now. You have to just, like as Kevin Harvick says, you have to be a jerk sometimes, especially on restarts. But is there a negative side to that maybe where <laughs> it manifests itself when you're 25 laps down and not really giving an inch with the guys who are in the lead lap? Oh, I think definitely. I, you know, if – if I were to give advice to, to someone and, and drivers go about it differently and, and your mindset as a race driver in the Cup Series this day and time has to be different than what it was in the past and, and has to be different than when I raced. And, you know, Earnhardt had that, but he had the respect of everybody out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's a little bit different here. Everybody understands that Joey Logano is uh, extremely talented and he races hard and he, you're going to get raced hard by him all the time in most situations. Yesterday was a situation that he could have taken and made a better choice uh, because he's going to get no help. It's not just going to be from Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin was the one that was affected there yesterday, but other drivers watched and saw exactly how Joey Logano handled that situation. And so he's not going to get a pass from anybody there or in, not that you're looking for any help and right. Joey's not looking for help right. but you don't want to create and make things more difficult than what they already are because it's extremely difficult to succeed and win at this already you need everything uh, that you can have in your corner uh, I, I just thought that, that he could have handled that situation better it was it blew my mind to see this race team and this organization have a problem like they did it but it makes you realize when we saw Joey not even be able to take the green flag because of probably something that was left either undone or not done properly in their, their pre-race checks and, and getting everything done uh, by a team, an organization that, that you don't expect that to happen. And then less than 10 laps into the race, we have Chase Elliott blowing an engine. So quickly you remember that there are parts and pieces that do break in these things and all of this is assembled by people that occasionally make mistakes and, and leave things undone. So uh, it makes you quickly remember that even though we think we know who's going to run well and who's going to do certain things at certain tracks, uh, there's always that element of parts and pieces breaking and people making mistakes. Yeah, you said it, DJ. I mean, even for an organization like Team Penske, which is regarded, you know, tip-top, everything gets checked, double-checked, probably triple-checked before it goes out the door of the shop, yet... They have the problem with Logano pre-race. Uh, Ryan Blaney has a suspension mm -hmm. failure. Like you said, for Hendrick, Chase Elliott with the engine failure. I mean, Dover is still a really punishing track, and that human element you're talking about, you can't really prevent that, right? It's, right. it's going to come up at a track like this probably. Yes, it's going to expose everything that, that either you haven't done properly, uh, and, and from a driver's standpoint, it's going to expose any weakness you have. So it's the same with the car. If there's a weakness there because someone didn't do their job or just because you're trying to get the most out of it, uh, a lot of times you're going to see parts and pieces break there and, and more things happen. So uh, it's just unfortunate that it's in the playoffs it, and, and probably even more so. Even though you have the it, – it's better that it happens in the first race than the third race uh, of, of one of the, the uh, these st uh, segments that we have, uh, but it, it still puts you in a very difficult position. The fortunate thing, Joey's body of work through the season uh, left him in a position to where he says, okay, now we have two races, even though one of them's Talladega, where he does things extremely well most of the time, but it still puts you in a much more difficult situation. I want to go back to something you said, uh, and I agree with you. I, I think Logano's life probably does get more difficult now. 
over you know the final six races of the season. But my question would be, does he care? Because I, I like <laughs> he's he's got a ruthlessness to him. I mean, we saw it last year at Martinsville with Truex. We saw it his situation with Kenseth four years ago. I think certainly kind of tied into the fact that. And I think you can respect it. Like he, I think he worries about himself yeah. before anybody else. I mean, yep. do you think, is that his approach or does it have to be that like, hey, I'm making these decisions and the repercussions, I just have to live with them. That he's going to have to live with those. I, I don't think that he cares what anybody thinks or what another driver thinks. Yeah. He, he is not concerned with that whatsoever. He is perfectly happy being his own man and his driver in his mind as to what it takes and what he has to do. As long as he is okay when these things come back. Now, I Obviously, I, I didn't agree with the Kenza thing when it happened at Martinsville right. a number of years ago. You, you know, you don't. But that's the type of thing you don't ever know when someone else is on that edge and and you've sent them over the edge. So will he will he encounter something? Maybe not to that extent, but just anything that might prevent you in moving through and trying to get that second championship. Racing is always really interesting to me in that it's that sport where you can affect somebody else so much more than <laughs> I feel yeah. like in other professional sports where you're just playing head to head. And in this instance, I mean, he can affect so many other people who are racing in a race in which he has no chance of a good finish. It's just sort of a yeah. weird twist. Yeah, that, that was the thing is there was no chance of anything. And yeah. the, the, the one or two positions they talked about that they may be able to make up, and I understand every point makes a difference and could make the difference in moving to that next round. But you have to think a little bit ahead about what you're doing, what in that situation was the right thing to do uh, in looking to the future. And, and uh, I think he could have made a better choice. Let's wrap up and talk a little bit about the racing, DJ. I'll say something nice and just say <laughs> it was better than the May race. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have a guy win by nine seconds uh, like Truex did in May. You had some drama among the playoff contenders. You know, you had a few guys who potentially could have won Truex until that pit mistake. Uh, and like you said, it could have got, could have gotten very interesting if not for that pit mistake, if Truex and Larson had maybe come down to battling for the win. But after the race, we still had some drivers talking about, hey, the package doesn't seem to marry up with this racetrack. And we heard that also at Martinsville. The package was designed to work well on mile and a half tracks. And it was a one size fits all type, type approach. You can debate whether that was a good idea, but that was apparently the, the team owners wanted that from NASCAR. They didn't want to have a bunch of separate packages. But when you have Jimmy Johnson, seven time champion, go on Twitter after the race after an hour and say, you know, we used to be able to pass here. Clearly it's something that wasn't optimum for Dover. Your thoughts on how the racing went? Yeah, it, it was, you know, there were times that, that there were entertaining parts of it, uh, but the entertaining parts were created by lap traffic. Yeah. And that's really the only <laughs> thing that really yeah. made things uh, somewhat entertaining was whenever uh, the leader was having a difficult time even with lap traffic that cars with cars that were quite a bit slower than what they were if they called them at the wrong spot uh and lost any of that momentum then second third fourth and fifth you know were able to close in quickly and and then we you know we saw some great racing some moves some some things that uh drivers putting themselves in some very difficult positions that, that they were able to get out of but that's not what you want when you talk about having good racing. Now, I will give this, okay? You're, you're never going to have a package, I don't care what is out there, that all the races are going to be good. Somebody's going to be better 
most of the time at a track than what someone else is. And so, you, but we only get one chance a weekend with the Cup Series, uh, even though we've got 36 weekends of it, and that's a, a lot of racing. But it's not like the NFL where there's 14 or 15 games in a weekend. Uh, Major League Baseball, uh, when you watch them and, and on a daily basis, there are more blowouts in a day than, than what there are one-run games. And so you, everything can't be great, but it seems that everybody wants it forgets that, especially as we've had uh, taken over uh, back in late June at Chicagoland uh, with NBC, the, the racing has been pretty much spectacular. I mean, we've just had so many things, but as soon as we have one bad, or I want, I'm not even going to call it a bad race. It just wasn't as entertaining as what we've mm -hmm. been having. I agree. Um, that, that everybody wants to say, oh, we've got to make this change, we've got to make that change because the racing was horrible. Well, it wasn't horrible. Everybody was trying, doing everything they possibly could. I think what it has to do, though, is give NASCAR some pause and say, okay, why is it affecting the cars and the drivers so much at Dover versus other places? This is a racetrack that you used to be able to race from the bottom, middle, and to the top and make passes. And, you know, it wasn't like they didn't have the horsepower to make this happen. Uh, what was it that was creating this situation more at this track than, than we've seen at other places? And, and so um, I think in talking to drivers and, and looking at that, uh, uh, how can we go about making something a little bit different there uh, possibly in the future? Would simply more horsepower help a little bit, you think? Yeah, you would have to yeah. think that it would, yes. Yeah, yeah okay. that, that that would be uh, a little bit better there, uh, that that might be one of the options to, to get a little bit more there because as you make, you talk – a lot of places, it doesn't matter uh, if you can carry that momentum around uh, the, the top of the racetrack, make the track a little bit longer. Uh, you, you can utilize with the horsepower uh, that you have that, that you can make that work, and, and I think that was missing. When you see Kyle Larson not venture to the top, then you know that <laughs> yeah, it is pretty much wrong. impossible that, that to, to make yeah. the passes that you want to with that. Yeah, he certainly runs up against the wall as much as possible. But uh, as we discussed, he's not going to have to worry about uh, running anywhere but just to the finish <laughs> at Talladega. I mean, that was the first thing he said in victory lane was, I'm really glad I'm not going to be worried about Talladega. I can go there and do whatever. Last time he ended up on his roof and he made light of the fact I can have my roof again and it doesn't matter. And now everybody else is going to be worried. So let's look at that to close things out here, DJ. I mean, Logano comes in virtually tied for the cutoff spot with Byron. Byron, I think, is ahead on tiebreaker. And then you got Boyer, minus four. Elliott, Chase after the engine failure is minus seven. And Blaney is minus 22. Is anybody... With two races left, is anyone in must-win territory? It seems like everybody's still yeah. in a point situation here. I, I think that even Ryan Blaney, even being 22 back, you look how good a plate racer he. Of course, it's not plates anymore, but uh, at at Daytona and Talladega, uh, he he does a really good job there. So Ryan Blaney can go to Talladega, run in the top three or four in each of the first two stages, uh, and, and then position himself. You, you can you can pass, you can do things. So it's not like you're giving up uh, the final stage of the race if you go after those stage points in the first two. So I think Blaney can point his way right back into something that would be manageable then to race the drivers uh, at Kansas and, and possibly make that happen without winning. Now, if he doesn't get those stage points, uh, I think that he has to do everything that he can possibly do to win the race. Uh, and he's going to know that uh, by the time it gets to that point. Obviously, you want to do that anyway, but you, you won't take unnecessary chances if you've been able to secure 18, 19, maybe even 20 uh, points uh, through those first two stages and, and do things a little bit differently. But Talladega is just, man, it's such a 
fine line there as to how you approach it. A lot of drivers say, look, I just want to go race as hard as I can race and take what it gives me. And that's probably the best scenario unless you're the guys that are up front that, <laughs> right. that have, you know, when you look at Truex and you look at Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick, they've amassed a lot of points here and they have a really good cushion. I think – in my opinion, if I were those guys, I would hang out and yeah. just let the race play out and, and get what I could get towards the end. Don't don't put yourself in a position that you actually go there and, and lose a huge chunk of those points that, that you've put together. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a wise strategy when you look at Truex is plus 63, a full race up on the cut line, yeah. and Hamlin and Bush are both plus 48, and they're all in Toyotas. We've talked so much about manufacturer alliances at Daytona and Talladega the last few races and that's not really the manufacturer we talk about. I mean, Hamlin won the Daytona 500, but yep. that was because they work with Chevy, and it seems like Chevy now does their own thing. Ford's dominated this race a year ago, which could be good for Blaney. Uh, there's certainly strength in numbers there. It would seem like Toyota's probably, or they probably don't want to have to win, I would think, going into this race. It would uh, yeah. be more of a Ford race. Yeah, I, I think that, that the Toyota guys are going to look that, you know, and they've got another guy there that's a really good uh, racer at, at Daytona and Talladega and Matt DiBenedetto, who could be kind of a leader and, and someone to really help them a lot in, in that situation. And, and just hanging out and then, you know, at the end, getting as many spots as you possibly can because there's only so much you're going to lose to those yeah. guys that are behind you. You know, it, it's not like that you're concerned about losing uh, points or anything to Jimmy Johnson and, and a number of these others. It's just those people that are close enough behind you that it could make a real difference if you happen to encounter some kind of problem at Kansas. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Others, I think, are going to have to forget this alliance. They're going to have to really? go with whoever is fast. Uh, I, I know that, that, you know, especially back at Talladega, the first race, the, the Chevrolets were told, you, you work with each other or else. You think uh, that goes out the window a little I, bit? I have to think that for some of these drivers that, that they have to sit down and have a hard conversation that, that look, I have to look after myself and and get amassing as many points as I possibly can. And if that means that I have to get in between two Fords or if I have to help a Ford to help move me forward or if it's a Toyota that, that gets in that situation, then that's what I have to do. If I have to, to change out of here and jump out of line uh, that, that I might be with Chevrolets at that time, You've got to give me the leeway to go get what I think is best for me. Okay, so we'll keep an eye on Chase Elliott. Maybe strange bedfellows for him yes. or William Byron coming yep. up on Sunday. Talia. Thanks so much for your time and insight. As always, DJ, really Absolutely. appreciate it. Thanks, Nate. We appreciate DJ for joining us on the NASCAR on NBC podcast playoff edition. As we noted, we've got Talladega Super Speedway coming up this Sunday. Coverage begins Friday with Cup Practice on NBCSN at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. And then final practice at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, Friday on NBCSN. We've got qualifying on Saturday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. And then on Sunday, the second race of the second round of the 2019 Cup Playoffs from Talladega. We've got NASCAR America at 1 p.m. Eastern, Sunday on NBC, that is the network channel, NBC, leading into Countdown the Green, and then the Green Flag Sunday from Talladega on NBC a little bit after 2 p.m. Eastern, and that'll be followed by the NASCAR post-race show on NBC, and then we'll move over to Victory Lap at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. The NASCAR and NBC podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a rating or review if you like what you're hearing, particularly during this playoff run. And as always, you can send me feedback on Twitter 
at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.